tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with the beatdown in Alabama, move on to LA city workers doing a mini strike, and follow all of that up with why Republicans are taking credit for things they voted against. Let's begin, shall we? Montgomery, I gotta ask, are you okay? This week, Caucasity lit up the internet in what is being hilariously referred to as the Alabama Riverboat Brawl. According to the camera that I witnessed the entire event, the Montgomery Motorboat Massacre was another satisfying racial moment that can only be described as try me in a small town. For the full effect, here is a play-by-play account of the Riverfront Battle Royale by TikToker Soho Brody. What if I told you Michael B. Phelps had that dog? A security guard was attacked by boaters after he told them to move their pontoon so another boat could die. The definition of white trash privilege. Spickle. Six-foot gazy backup Alabama long snappers pressed the board. Threw up his hat with the Bobby Schmurter level back call to play for backup. Outnumbered and outmatched, the underdogs were in desperate need of a hero. Say less, stupid. That's when 16-year-old Aquamane noticed the struggle and jumped into the river. Swimming at mock speeds from a nearby boat to hell. Scuba Gooding Jr. was in his back. Inspiring an elite group of Avengers with flavor to spawn out of nowhere. Skills so effective they literally beat the Crocs off a bra. Unheard of. Once these brothers skipped in unison in the heat of a battle, Pron James and his motley crew were ready for war with fillet of fists. One OG activated Prime Edge, swinging lawn furniture to critical acclaim. Because if they don't give you a seat at the table, LL Pool J brings a folding chair. Safe to say these second-rate chads learned a valuable lesson that day. If you ain't ready to be lost at sea, don't fall fighting Nemo. It may have been hundreds of years in the making, the winner of the Montgomery Civil War by unanimous decision, the Aquatic Avenger, Sweet Justice. <laughs> Talk about pontoon around and find out. Thanks to the speed of the internet, what would have been a really racist reason to let the sun go down on a certain riverboat captain has hilariously turned into humanity at its finest. The comment threads. Roll tape. Juneteenth came twice this year. August 5th is to black people what January 6th is to them. Only this time we stormed the cracker. Never in the history of Negrodom has a folding chair been this historic and this symbolic to black people. Black people ain't been this united in Montgomery since the boycott. That brother just dropped a new single, Try Me in a Small Town. Boy, when that brother threw his hat in the air like Bobby Schmurter, it summoned the Negro Avengers, and they jumped into action doing a shmoney dance all up and down their ass. Them folks saw all of them Negroes pull up on that ferry and said, we need a bigger boat. Aquaman swam his ass across that river like he just got done watching Wakanda forever. Who said black people can't swim? He highly bailied his ass right on across that water because he wanted to be a part of that world. Now we know why they didn't want us learning how to swim during segregation. Are those Negroes in the water? Drain the pool. The enrollment for black swim lessons just went up 200%. The YMCA about to be lit. I don't care. I'm telling my kids this was the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Now, I know some of you are all twisted over this Alabama riverboat beatdown, saying if this were a bunch of black men beating on a white guy, this would have been a completely different scenario. And to those people, I say you are correct. If the races had been switched, this would just have been another Tuesday in Montgomery. But it wasn't. And as a hilarious side note, 
The folding chair was invented in 1911 by a black man named Nathaniel Alexander, hailing from Lynchburg, Virginia, because of course. And I don't know for a fact that Nathaniel knew one day his descendants would need a strong yet extremely portable weapon that they could use in a Caucasian to African combat situation. I just know it's true which makes the Montgomery Sweet Tea Party another epic moment in black history. And August 5th shall be known as Fadesgiving, a new holiday commemorating the day the Black Avengers were assembled. And as for the epilogue, here's what became of the three Jason Aldean fans who started the Crocs Down, Chairs Up, Match at the Dock, narrated by Daryl Albert, Montgomery's chief of police. The suspects thus far have been identified as Richard Roberts, white male, 48 years old, with two outstanding warrants for assault, third degree. Alan Todd, white male, 23 years old, one warrant for assault, third degree. And Zachary Shipman, white male, 25 years old, uh, one warrant for assault, third degree. We have instructed those individuals to turn themselves into law enforcement, and as uh, at this time, uh, one is secured and in custody, the other two are set to turn themselves in. And with that, we have the conclusion of the find-out phase in Montgomery, Alabama. However, in Los Angeles, California, city officials have just entered their very own find-out phase, and it's not looking good. A strike involving thousands of L.A. City workers threatening to upend some services across the city. It's all part of a one-day strike calling out city negotiators for what they say are alleged unfair labor practices. Some 11,000 city workers walked off the job after contract negotiations broke down. These are L.A. City workers. We're talking sanitation workers, the people who drive the trash trucks, engineers, mechanics, gardeners, custodians, lifeguards, airport shuttle bus drivers, and other city employees. The strike was authorized with a 98% vote, citing unfair labor practices as the union claims city attorneys came to the bargaining table unprepared to make a deal. Demanding competitive pay and other benefits. Recruitment and retention is a big, big problem for the city of Los Angeles, and so the workers are tired of working short-staffed. Los Angeles may have once been called the land of dreams, but for the residents there employed by the city, it's a low-income nightmare. Apparently, the city of Los Angeles is spearheaded by lower-level greedy bastards who have designed their business model around whatever Hollywood executives are doing. And wouldn't you know it, the city of Los Angeles is also experiencing the same reaction as those Hollywood execs. It's a strike, baby. For 24 hours, among a lot of other things, not a public bathroom was cleaned and no garbage was picked up, left to pile up on the street. And yet, some might say this is just any given Wednesday in L.A., but these workers are trying to make a point here, people. L.A. city workers aren't asking for much. They want a living wage so they can afford to live less than 100 miles from their job because the commute to work shouldn't take up a third of their monthly income. They're also asking for their bosses to hire more people because the current staff is burnt out, overworked, and undercompensated. But to be historically honest, 
This is a battle American corporations have been wielding against American workers for nearly half a century. The debate over how much workers should get paid in America has a contentious history. It took decades of strikes, debates, and a Great Depression for Congress to pass a law in 1938, establishing a federal minimum wage. The federal minimum wage was last raised to $7.25 an hour in 2009, and wage growth has not kept pace with labor productivity. So workers are more efficient, but they have less to show for it. For the last several decades, there's been a real disconnect between uh, how much wealth working people are producing and what's being reflected in their pay. No shit, Sherlock. Since 1980, 90% of working Americans have seen their wages rise by about 25%, while the top 1%'s income growth has been skyrocketing by more than 200% in the same amount of time. Meanwhile, the corporate greed we inaccurately refer to as inflation has been metastasizing at an exponential rate. Since just 2005, Corporations have raised prices on the same shitty products by 150% while simultaneously not raising workers' pay. In other words, the absolutely and for real reason why 90% of working Americans cannot afford basic necessities like food, electricity, and rent is because while their employers are busy raising prices, they're intentionally neglecting to raise their employees' wages so they could afford to buy the same old, more expensive shit. Which brings me to what the actual fuck is a living wage. Because right now, the government thinks Americans can survive on $7.25 an hour. And if you're a server, you only get guaranteed $2.13 an hour. Because fuck waiters. But the reality is most Americans need to make a minimum of $35 to $40 an hour just to keep up with corporate greed. I mean, inflation. And getting millionaires on Capitol Hill to give a shit has proven so far a lost cause because the rebuttal is always employers can't afford to pay their workers more without raising prices. For example, the current mayor of New York, whose net worth is $9 million, felt privileged enough to use his race card in order to shut down an 84-year-old tenants' rights activist who dared to question the mayor at a public meeting. Before and after, you Okay, first, if you're going to ask a question, don't point at me and don't be disrespectful to me. I'm the mayor of this city and treat me with the respect that I deserve to be treated. I'm speaking to you as an adult. Don't stand in front like you treated someone that's on the plantation that you... And if you don't already know, the mayor of New York is a black man and the tenant rights activist is a white woman. So that specific use of the race card was a violation of race card use rules. See, New York Mayor Eric the Token Adams is a man in charge while also sitting back and doing nothing because rental prices in his city are rising to ludicrous speed. 
With Rich Bitch Adams running the city since 2022, tenants have had to endure a 7% increase in their monthly payments for the same rat-infested and incredibly tiny apartments. But please, Mr. $9 million in the bank, tell me again how your elected position as a public servant commands respect. Because in New York City, landlords are using the 40 times rule, which states a tenant has to make 40 times the rent in order to qualify. So if your rent is 1500 a month, that tenant has to make 60000 a year, which is stupid, when the landlords in New York City average income is $61,920 annually and that's not counting the money they make from their rentals so in what universe does it make sense that a tenant has to have an annual income equal to the landlord unless there is greed involved which brings me back to that question i asked earlier what the actual fuck is a living wage a living wage is a set of costs that a family incurs a rate that affords a household of its basic needs like housing, food, health care, and transportation. Medical expenses, a modest vacation, and a small emergency fund. It does not include retirement savings, debt repayment, home ownership, or education savings. A family with both parents working need to make about $81,000 to support a family of four. Otherwise, they can't afford all the basic things they need. For perspective, what we're talking about is a very basic bitch kind of existence where having to replace the tires on your minivan isn't going to make your family homeless. And really, it's not much of an ask considering that the workers are asking for a living wage are 100% the reason why business owners, big and small, make money at all. Let's be honest, it's not the CEO of Target who's ringing you up and it's definitely not the franchise owner of your favorite fast food joint who is flipping your burgers. It's the entitled and demonstrably useless jackasses at the top of any company who take their salary from the hard work of the people who work for them. And to those of you in the back who cry about the job creator's right to take home more than the people they employ because it's their business, I have a question. How many math classes did you flunk in grade school to come up with the conclusion that the executive should take home two to four hundred times what their lowest paid employee makes? And now for something completely different. With Congress on recess for the month of August, those lovable politicians are at home, making rounds, speaking at events, town halls, and any other photo op that'll make them look good. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Case in point, here is what it sounded like when Glitch McConnell from the embarrassingly dumb welfare state of Kentucky hobbled on stage with the help of his handlers at the 28th annual Fancy Farm event. And don't even get me started on what the fuck a fancy farm is. <laughs> Anywho, when Reboot McConnell was placed in the upright position at the podium, the crowd erupted into this well-deserved chant. <laughs> Retire! 
just for him. <laughs> and as for the rest of the Republicans, this is the time of year where they take credit for legislation that they voted against, but thankfully still passed because of Democrats like President Joe Biden's infrastructure bill, which is funneling millions of dollars to states across the country right now to help pay for building projects, road and bridge repair that is needed, as well as expansion of the internet into small towns. Biden administration is doing more to show voters which projects are a result of President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure law. Because while Biden and Democrats have passed a historic amount of legislation for Americans, which has led to record job growth, record low unemployment, a boom in manufacturing, and now finally a decline in inflation, polling shows that they simply aren't getting enough credit for what they've managed to accomplish so far. Some construction sites now have signs which actually say that. It seems to be part of a push to stop Republicans from taking credit for projects that they did not vote for. The infrastructure law passed by Democratic majorities in 2021 is a particularly strong example of how Democrats do the heavy lifting while most Republicans vote against the bill and then turn around and try to take credit for it while gaslighting their own voters. Yeah, and it's something that frankly deeply and personally irritates this president who's been known to carry around a list in his pocket which he brings out at speeches that has a, a, an accounting <laughs> of Republicans who voted against something and then try to take credit for it. Well, I guess this puts a damper on Alabama senator and unindicted January 6th co-conspirator Mr. Tommy Tuberville's plans to take credit for the broadband Biden's infrastructure he voted against will now provide Internet access that, according to Tommy, quote, is vital for the success of rural communities and for Alabama's entire economy. Oh, and Congressman in Texas, John Cronin, who voted against Biden's infrastructure bill, was caught on the site formerly known as Twitter trying to take credit for $3.3 billion in broadband expansion, helping his constituents thanks to good old Joe. The way past retirement-aged senator from Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, also wants to gaslight her constituents into thinking she had something to do with the expansion of broadband in her state other than voting against Biden's infrastructure bill. Same problem with Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who voted against Biden's infrastructure bill and is now going to have to find some other administration to take credit from because that $75 million allocated to a San Antonio restoration project was provided by President Biden. And who can forget Missouri's poor excuse for a congressman, Sam Graves, who thinks his voters are so stupid they'll praise him for $1.3 million in grants that will fund highway repairs desperately needed that he voted against when he said no to Biden's infrastructure bill. And for those old enough to remember, this is a tired game Republicans have played for a very, very, very long time, taking credit for things that make their constituents' lives better that they very publicly voted against, because communism? And while we're on the subject of President Biden's accomplishments, remember when the bogus SCOTUS said, no student debt relief for you? President Biden wanted to forgive tens of millions of dollars in student loans. But in June, 
bogus SCOTUS squashed all that. Yeah, that was a big letdown. But totally expected since Republicans in Congress just spent the last administration stacking the court formerly known as Supreme with Christian nationalists who specialize in oppressing everyone but cis white men because that's how their sky daddy wants things to be. But don't fret because Grandpa Joe is not done yet. The Biden administration says more than 800,000 student loan borrowers will have their remaining federal student loans forgiven over the next several weeks. Automatically forgiving $39 billion in federal student loan debt. This plan, which looks at a system that connects repayment of loans to people's income level. And this news comes about two weeks after the Supreme Court rejected President Biden's debt relief plan that would have forgiven up to $20,000 in student loans for more than 40 million people. That's right. Joe put on his aviator glasses and went to work to find a way to give student debt relief, collabing with the Secretary of Education to forgive $39 million in debt for over 800,000 Americans simply because of income disparity. Basically, the Department of Education can forgive a borrower's loan because they're broke as fuck and can't afford to pay it back. So Joe and the Secretary of Education are doing just that. Now, this isn't the everyone gets forgiveness plan Joe had before Bogus SCOTUS put their entitled thumb down. But we're talking about 800,000 people who have a little less to worry about. And that is a good thing. Thanks, Joe. And that is all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday, and you can follow the show on social media wherever you can find us. This Week Again is available for your listening pleasure on places like Spotify, iHeart, Audible, Amazon, wherever you listen. And thank you so much for listening to this show. To dare for now. <laughs>